I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's gotta be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother and my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal seeing the sick side of 80, and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment, like that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. And boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear, and today I am joined by the man who is responsible for it all, the founder of Fox Rehabilitation, Dr. Tim Fox. Oh, hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. We're celebrating the silver anniversary. 25 years. 25 years of Fox. So what I want to do, the goal is, and who knows, maybe it won't happen. Maybe we'll just do it in one. Maybe we'll eventually accomplish my goal. I want to do two episodes. Two, okay. So a, a two-parter. Got it. Part one would be everything that led up to the creation of Fox. The history. Yes. What led you into healthcare, why physical therapy, what inspired you to found Fox Rehabilitation, yep. and then part two would be from 1998 on. I hope I can pass that test. That's all I have to say. <laughs> no, but I'm afraid that we, we go into it and then you're like, you know what? I, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's just okay. do one episode. But we'll, we'll, we'll right. see. We'll see. We're, but the goal is to do two. All right. So I, I have a feeling a lot of my questions will be phrased like this. What were you feeling when? What were you feeling at that point in time? Feelings. Okay. So good. good. How did you get into healthcare? How did you get into physical therapy? What led you to that? Oh boy, long story, long story. I'm going to start at the very beginning though. As a child. But but you've done this probably close to a thousand times. This interview? No, you've told the story <laughs> because remember pre-pandemic, we would fly yeah. all of the new hires to our home office in Cherry Hill and you would tell them this story. This is the story. This is the story. Long story short. <laughs> A good story. I, I love my story. It's my roots. It's where we all came from. And I don't think uh, as we age, we should forget those kind of things. But grew up in Sheffield, England. Sheffield, England was a small industrial coal mining town famous for coal production and stainless steel. So back in the early 70s, as you may know or not know, depending on your age and generation, <laughs> that the coal mines were shut down as they were dirty and nasty types of fuels. And... Um, Stainless steel production was shut down also and sent to Japan where it was cheaper to make. My father, as it was, was in the stainless steel business. He was a panel beater, actually a tradesman that are not too common today. You can find them working in steel shops, metal shops, body shops. They'd take huge stainless sheets of metal, four by eight sheets, and rebuild old pre-war vintage cars, a, a trade, a skill, a craftsman. And that was his, that's what he did. Uh, he expanded his business slightly and uh, started to uh, go with ICI paints and make that a body shop and the next steps, next progressions. But that wasn't going too well. And I don't know how my father had it together. Do you know how you look at your father years back in retrospect and like, did he have it all together or not? <laughs> I don't know. Richard Fox was his name. So Richard decided to move us out to the Middle East, where he thought there was more opportunity with ICI Paints, where he still was in the body shop business. He would restore, believe this or not, 
Ferraris and BMWs that the wealthy Arabs would buy, purchase, drive at 150 miles to the desert, crash, and then rebuild them. <laughs> that was Richard Fox's trade. After that got old, he decided <laughs> to have enough of this, and he moved us uh, to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, the current HQ of Fox Rehabilitation. So wait, go through that again. It was Sheffield? Sheffield. To the Middle East? To the Middle East. Wait, how long were you in the Middle East? Uh, we stayed uh, three years in Doha, Qatar, and we were also in a small town outside of Dubai, United Arab Emirates called Sharjah, a very small town. How old were you at that point? Jeez, uh, eight, 12 years okay. old. Yeah, yeah. So then it's from the Middle East to, to the Middle East Cherry to Hill, good New old Jersey. Cherry Hill Barclay Farms right off of Route 70. What led your family to move to Cherry Hill, New Jersey? I do not know the answer <laughs> to that question. <laughs> I don't know why. My father's business was in Pensacon when we migrated, immigrated, I should say, really. I'm an immigrant. Yes. No, you are. Or if you want to look at it that way, uh, completely. So when we migrated to the United States, uh, he worked in a small industrial factory in Pensacon. Okay. Spring so no, bringing back some memories. I didn't go through this in orientation. Uh, no, this, this is, kind of depth, you know. So your early teenage years now, living in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Yeah, like uh, what, sixth grade? I guess a little blurry. <laughs> now what? Jeez, I remember my first days of school, because we lived in the Middle East. My dad bought me digital watches. You know the clock stamp? And you got to fill in the time? Yes. My teacher gave me a, a test to see where they were going to place me in the classes, and I couldn't tell time because all I knew was a digital watch because that's all they used in the Middle East. They were, had the technology. And uh, I, had, I, I failed. I was put in a very low-level regressive class because I didn't know how to tell the time. I, I was in the lower class as well, if that makes you feel any better. Or it makes me feel better that you were also in the lower class. Just funny what like technology and apply that to today. Right. Like these generations that haven't seen some of the things that I've or, seen. Or they could have asked some questions like, have right. you ever seen a yeah. clock with hands? No, yeah. well, let me teach you. Yeah, so it's a parent-teacher conference, sat there, your son can't tell time. I like, guess he can. <laughs> because you don't have a digital clock. Yeah, it's zero five hundred hours. So as you get into high school and you're going through high school, do you have any idea of what you want to do when you grow up? No, no. I just want to regress, though. One more thing, as well as the clock, was the uh, the the metric system. No idea whatsoever. Ten gallon hat. Yeah, millimeters, deciliters, <laughs> centimeters. That's all I knew. So it was a, a complete different learning curve. I had to relearn mathematics and and telling the time. And did your teachers give you a hard time? Some were understanding. Not, okay. Some were not. I also was made fun because I said hamburger and not hamburger. <laughs> I also wore, I also wore, this is funny though, in England, you don't change your pants every day unless they're soiled and disgusting. Right. You'd wear the same pants, same pair of jeans, three, four days in a row. Here in the United States, you have to wash fresh clothes every day, fresh clothes every day. And uh, these le cultural learning curves that- The, the little I, things. I wasn't used to. So yes. yeah, big cultural shock. So when do you think you got over that initial shock? When I met my good friends. Yeah, they assimilated me into mm -hmm. <laughs> the American way of life. Was that in grade school or high school? Grade school. Grade yep, school, yep, okay. Yeah, we got into BMX and we made tracks and uh, jumped BMX bikes and had lots of fun. All right, so high school, now what's going through your mind? High school, that was a whirlwind. I wasn't great at math. I wasn't a great scholar whatsoever. I was very hands-on. I loved building engines. I loved my cars. I was a motorhead, uh, not very scholastic whatsoever. 
And uh, it's funny going through high school, I uh, had unfortunate situations that I, was, I talked about this in orientation. Unfortunately, you know, when I was in high school, my parents passed away. And uh, within six months of each other, my mother was first diagnosed. And six months later, my father was diagnosed uh, with terminal cancer. And I immediately became a caregiver. I think that's the clock. You know, you said, so what happened? Where did you step into healthcare? And it was becoming a caregiver for your parents. It's, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, maybe I should be feeling that now at 50, 60, 65 years old, like you should normally become a caregiver for your parents. Uh, I became that in, in high school. So it really changed the way I had to go about life. And after their passing, it was, uh, I had to get to work. I was calling my cousin back in England saying, I need a place to come live. I don't know what I'm going to do here. How many siblings do you have? I have one, one brother, three years older, Julian. Who I've met. Mm -hmm. All right. So it's you and Julian on your own. Yep. In high school. What did you do? You know what I had to do? I, my, my mom, my parents were separated and... Um, she had a boyfriend who I shacked up with. Okay. <laughs> and he took me under his wing, thankfully. And did Julian live there too? Julian lived there too with okay. us. Okay. And we uh, went to work. We, there was only one solution, get a job. So this is, is this post high school? This is, yeah, uh, during high school. So get a job, go to work, figure it out. But were, were there any conversations when you were in high school saying, hey, like, what are you going to do when you graduate? Are you going to go to college? I wasn't at that level. It was like Maslow's triangle, right? His hierarchy of needs. I was barely getting food on the table. I wasn't worried about self-actualization. It's like, well, I don't care about that. I just got to survive today. You're, you're looking to survive. <laughs> Get me through today. I'm, that's a good day. So there's a, there's a lot of things that happened during that time. There, there, a lot of overlap of, of jobs um, I worked in a bodybuilding gym, McMichael's gym in Somerdale, New Jersey. And my boss was Harry McMichael. <laughs> it was a roid raging gym. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got my ass kicked every day. I'd go in there. Those guys were rough on me. And I was the guy who had to collect the $35 a month memberships from guys that were just bouncers in nightclubs and uh, cash only, no computer system. I had to look through the three by five index cards of Mike coming in, did Sam pay? And if some of these guys were six months late and my boss would say to me, like, where's the money? Like, he, he can't, you have to throw him out. Spindly little Tim Fox. I'm like, I got to throw this guy out? What are you talking about? Dude? Did you ever throw anyone out? I had to ask a lot of people to leave and it wasn't happy. A lot of the things got thrown around the gym. <laughs> Police came. Did you ever get thrown around? I got thrown around the gym. I got locked in a closet one night because they tried to steal the nutritional supplements off the shelves. And I really tried to give them a pushback and they decided to take me by my hands and feet, tie me up, put me in the janitor closet. <laughs> but wasn't it at the gym where you became interested in physiology? It sure was. It sure was. I was lifting weights. I was, I was hanging out in the gym and it just an interest into how physiology can be changed through, through external forces and uh, started to catch that wave. So I've got, now I've got the experience of being a caregiver. Now I'm in the gym environment and I'm scratching my head, sat behind the desk. I'm like, what am I doing? Like monitoring a gym on three by five index cars. I'm like, this, this can't be my life. So I went to, uh, I looked into programs at Camden County Community College uh, here in, uh, in Camden, New Jersey, uh, Camden County, New Jersey. And uh, they had a certificate in exercise uh, instruction. Like, okay. So cool. I'm going to sit on that. Take some nutrition classes, take some exercise classes, very basic but when you say you were looking for programs, was it healthcare specific, exercise specific, or were you just looking down a list and seeing what struck you? Exercise specific. Okay. Exercise specific, not just a general list. 
I like the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry, because that's what I was doing on the, another job while I was juggling all of these things. So um, no, it was it was exercise specific. And then once I'd finished that program, I'd scratch my head again and saying, this this can't be what's left in life. I really didn't have any mentors then. No parents saying, no, Tim, go more, right. go bigger, go stronger, go harder. Um, kind of just pushed myself into a slot and listen to some of the faculty at Camden County that, well, do you know this is the next step is probably physical therapy for you. I'm like, what the heck is physical <laughs> therapy? I shouldn't be where I am right now. God is good. That's all I know. <laughs> and uh, I looked into physical therapy programs and started studying and researching what this was. I'm like, wow, this is, this is really the next step, the higher level, the next, the next level where I need to go. So um wasn't a good student. A lot of the programs at the time are and still entry level programs where they need, um, you know, your your SATs. I didn't take my SATs. I, I wasn't capable of taking SATs. I, I wasn't a smart lad from that perspective. Maybe street smart, but right. book smart. Forget about it. Not very good at all. And uh, started researching them. And then they, one of the only programs that uh, really didn't uh, uh, require completely the SATs was Thomas Jefferson University at the time. Submit an application. Uh, went through the interview process. I felt it went really well. Didn't hear back, didn't hear back, didn't hear back. School started. I'm like, wah, wah, wah. Like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Calling my cousin on the phone again. Cousin John, I'm coming back. Coming back next week. Like, school started. He's like, all right, Tim. Like, we, we're here for you whenever you want to get back. And uh, it's probably two weeks into the semester at Thomas Jefferson. The phone rang. Picked it up. Hello. This is so-and-so-so-so from Thomas Jefferson University of Admissions. We've had a dropout. Would you be willing to take the slot? I'm like, you Wow. I mean, little, little did that person know they would be the Pete Best of the physical therapy world. Look at that. <laughs> God, you got to believe in, you have to believe in God. You have to believe in the universe, right? That's wild. Yeah. Because so. yeah, the, the semester was underway. Completely. We and that's how it works. Because I think there's like a two, two and a half, three week cutoff before they it becomes official. Three weeks into gross anatomy. And back then, which is awesome, which they still should do today is cadaver dissection. The most amazing gift you could ever receive to, to actually put your hands on a cadaver and, and actually see what's in there. They don't do it anymore. Or very rarely uh, that, which, which I disagree with. But amazing. So I started PT school three weeks into gross anatomy. Had an amazing, amazing class. Dr. Kiara was actually in my class. Didn't know her then. But uh, did you know of her? Ah, uh, we knew of each other. Okay, I think that's what it was. But like, if you saw her walking, she the wasn't campus, in my hangout group. No, but if no. you saw her walking <laughs> the campus, you're like, I, I recognize no, that course. face. Yep. Okay, okay, yep. yep. I had an amazing. I had two people that made an amazing impact on me. In fact, actually, there's a lot of people at Jefferson that had an impact on me. Three, Dr. Roger Nelson, the chair of the uh, department at the time, amazing. Who we still quote today is, "Therapy should be a time of excitement." When you're going into someone's home or whether you are in the home or the clinic uh, as a physical therapist, you've got the opportunity to change someone's life. But you got to bring some gusto. You got to bring the circus. You got to bring the excitement. And therapy should be a time of excitement because hopefully all in all, the medical condition should be stabilized where we've now got an opportunity and a foundation as a rehabilitation professional to now just improve function and quality of life, right? Live life better. So there's the excitement there, Dr. Roger Nelson. Another doctor in, uh, was the doctor of gross anatomy, Dr. Lois Newman. People didn't like Lois. She was rough, tough. She loved me and I loved her. She said, Timmy, she says, 
show me your organizer. What? An organizer? <laughs> show me your calendar. Show me something where you organize where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to do it, and what you're supposed to do next. I'm like, I don't, I don't have that. She said, see me tonight in my office at 8 o'clock. Sat down in her office. Gave me an, a calendar. A day at a glance. One of those kind of things, right? I think they still make them today, but it's Outlook now, I think. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's an app now. It's an app. Uh, and she said, here, this is for you. I want you to write down your schedule. I want you to write down everything that you need to get prepared for next classes. You can look ahead. This is what, how it, she got me organized. Organization equals morale. When you're organized, you feel better. Mm -hmm. Organize your messy closet. You'll feel yes, better, right? Yes, you do. Organize your messy kitchen. Clean it up. <laughs> you'll feel great. Organize your garage. Clean it up. You'll feel great. Wash your car. You'll feel great. Organization equals morale. And, and that's what she did for me. She taught me that. She not only did that, though. She took me under her wing and she met me after class for gross anatomy anytime that I felt I needed to get updated. And I did great gross anatomy. A, a plus student. So it's the teacher, right? It's mm -hmm. caring. It's love. It's the teacher. And this is, these are all the things that help build who I am today and help build Fox Rehabilitation. Did, she, did she know your background? Not really. I didn't really want to boast about it back then or, or talk about it. It was something I just wanted to move on from. Because I feel like that was a void that was almost filled by her in a way to give you that, that support that you didn't have. A huge, like amazing. That's why, you know, to believe in the strength of people in our mission statement. So many people that believed in me and helped me get where it gets me choked up. It gets me where I am today. And that's why I think so many of the things that we do as leadership at Fox and not just helping our patients, but helping each other as colleagues, as friends, as family, no matter who it is, like you've got to give someone not a handout, but a hand up, right? Mm -hmm. Help them get along in life. And can we also shout out Viana? Viana. Because when you told your story yeah, at orientation, yeah. I, I fell in love with that part of the story. Viana, amazing, amazing woman. Still around today. Still... Um, she was one of our patients. She's it's been 25, 30 years since I worked with Viana, but that was my second or third job, really. I've got Mrs. Otero in the janitorial business. So I'm basically juggling three jobs between the gym, um, the janitorial business. Uh, Mrs. Otero, real quick, before I get to Viana, was a first-generation Cuban immigrant to the United States. Mr. Otero could smoke a, a, a carton of parliaments a day. So if you got stuck in that little Honda Civic with Mr. Otero, and, and oh my God, F-bomb was every other word. I was not with a Cuban accent. Just funny. I would just laugh. And he wouldn't crack the window. And, and Mr. Otero, come on, crack the window. So I'd, I'd, I'd insist he crack the window. But we'd go into, we'd go into, uh, we'd clean banks. We had the uh, bank contracts for within Camden and Burlington County. So we'd just go in the night times and evening clean, clean banks. And I, I, I got some points in my head. I'm like, and I'm cleaning and dusting the teller sections. I'm like, can I rob this by any chance <laughs> like how do i get a quick exit you know yeah i gotta admit it went through my mind but then my friend convinced me that that just <laughs> it's not a viable plan Tim. it's never gonna work i would sit around and drink some beers which we shouldn't be drinking at that age and and and, and talk about how we could rob the bank and it, on our mopeds please <laughs> bonnie and clyde like you can't rob a bank on a moped you need i think you need a better plan but uh Mrs. Otero, the great experience, great experience. The thing that was most resonating with the janitorial service, we also cleaned a funeral home where I met uh, Mr. Bernie Platt, the ex-mayor of Cherry Hill. 
and uh, he was a funeral director. And I actually had to go to Bernie uh, when my parents had passed and asked. I had no money to bury my parents. My parents had no money. They left this, this uh, earth penniless uh, and left it on me, which I'm not bitter about. But I had to go to Mr. Uh, Bernie Platt and say, you know, can we work out a deal to help bury my parents? And uh, if you don't know hard work in the past, you knew it then. And uh, it really makes you pull your pants up and really take a good look at life, right? And how important it is. And uh, sometimes the sacrifices you have to make to get along in life. So, but also on the good side of it was realizing how good people are, Mm -hmm. how good people are. And and he he welcomed me, him and his family. uh, And they're still there today with open arms and and took care of me. And we were out at a restaurant some months ago. And actually I looked across the restaurant. I said, that's Bernie Platt over there. And he said to jump out of my seat and tell him how good he was to me. And like how, what a great hand up he gave yes. me in life uh, and how generous he was. Viana, the same way, waited tables in an Italian saute restaurant for, geez, six, seven years. I was her go-to guy because I needed to work. Mm-hmm. So she knew when she had someone call out on Sundays when no one wanted to work, Sunday mornings when no one wanted to work, all the other waitresses to do the Bridal showers, baby showers, all on Sunday mornings. They had to get up at six and scoop the Spumoni ice cream, get it ready, right? <laughs> Make the salads, prep the salads. So I just, I could handle about 50 people in a, in a, in a banquet myself with a good busboy. And uh, it was three choices. You got chicken parmesan, veal parmesan, and like, uh, like, uh, Penny carbonara. That, those are three choices. So you, that's what you got. You got a spumoni and you got a you got a Caesar salad. So it was it wasn't a difficult job serving, but that was really all about customer service. Mm-hmm. That's where I learned that angle: high volume, fast, with a smile, and really understanding the rest of the restaurant business as far as it's 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 people taking care of people, which is no different than we in, are in healthcare today. And I think that's some of the messages that we in our training try and get across to people. It's it's just people, people management, right? I think that's life. Some people are really good at it and some people aren't, but I think uh, we don't go through really any training in people management in PT school. And that's probably chapter two that we could hit on mm-hmm. is, is people management and our uh, programs in academia of what we should and maybe should not be focusing on as, as healthcare professionals. But anyway, a whole bunch of people that were really instrumental in my life, uh, a lot of people in teaching. This is a movie. <laughs> you think? Or, or a Netflix series. And the foreshadowing is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like you might not have thought of it back then, but everything that you're picking up along the way, there are huge notes of that within Fox Rehabilitation. There are. And I think, um, you know, stimulated my mind to think of just one more instance I think is important to share. When I was at Jefferson, I, I, I didn't have enough money to uh, stay on campus, unfortunately. So I lived in uh, and a very, very small studio apartment in Haddonfield, New Jersey, which was convenient for me because the speed line was right there, the train mm-hmm. that went through, uh, you know, the various towns of Jersey and uh, went through the town of Camden, came up out of Camden, and then rose on these steel tracks above Camden until it dove down under the Delaware River. And uh, that was that was every morning and night for me going in and out. And I called the train that it was a, if you know the Patco high speed line in Philadelphia, you can look that up. It's a silver steel can. Looks like the silver bullet train. <laughs> I called it the silver bullet. And I said, you just reminded me if I wanted to put a book together, wanted to put that movie together, I'd call it the silver bullet because it was 
always made me think how that train carried so much knowledge, so many people, and so much money on a Friday night when everybody got their paychecks. But what it did, it hovered over the city of Camden where there was poverty and crime and so much need, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, it always made me think. And, and, you know, that's some of the programs we can talk about in the next chapters about, you know, filling unmet needs of society and giving back. And that would be a first chapter in my book is The Silver Bullet. You're Thomas Jefferson. What happens when you graduate? I was pushed into, and not, not complaining or crying, at, at certain internships that I didn't enjoy. Sports medicine, orthopedics. I did it. I did it to get the grade. I didn't enjoy it one little bit. So there's got to be more to this. And I think this goes back to my more caregiving role with my parents. There's got to be something a little deeper. I like a general physical therapy in the acute care setting in the hospital. I found myself to thrive, be happy, give people the energy they needed just to take that next step, go to the next level to get yourself home and, and, and be a little bit stronger and be with your family. What else did I do? I did this acute care spinal cord rounds with people again, like Dr. Mary Sinat made a huge impact on my life. She's, she's probably someone we should speak about. Um, Sharon Kane, my, my instructor and clinical instructor at Jefferson and one of my mentors who's still around and in contact with us today. But uh, I, I just didn't enjoy being locked up in the hospital, so to speak. Not this, it's, it's great. It's a very admirable place to work. Right. It just wasn't for me. So I started poking around looking and I said, I, I could do more. I've got to do more. I picked up on, believe it or not, it's surprising to see based on my academic performance of my past that I picked up on physical therapy so quick. And I was quite a good student, top of my class, uh, when it all shook out. So uh did the first 12 to 18 months at, at, in the hospital and I started scratching my head. There's got to be something more I can do. So I started looking around. I, I loved aging at the time. I loved aging period. I loved my grandma. And uh, I started looking into the long-term subacute world and I was looking for jobs and I found this job opportunity as a rehabilitation director, but it was, it was 80 miles from my house and it was a brand new facility, brand new community. I went out and interviewed in my 69 Dodge Dart, I had no floorboards in this freaking thing. It was a slant six. It burned so much oil a quart a day. <laughs> I had to top up every day on oil. But anyway, that's another story because I actually took it to Newark for, for a clinical internship. But I, I think I missed that opportunity in the history. Drove it out from Haddonfield to uh, Manahawken every day. Took the job as this rehab director. Completely wasn't qualified to do it. But I did know one thing. Be nice. Yeah. Be nice. Uh, be decent to your staff, uh, be genuine, and be honest and, and straightforward with people. And uh, I inherited a team of a, a motley crew of uh, PTs, PTAs, CODAs, OTs, SLPs, probably about 16 in my team, and uh, built one hell of a team. Loved it every day. Loved it every day. We actually, uh, after two years of service there, we put the community through the facility, through its uh, first joint commission accreditation on healthcare organizations, uh, subacute status, which was really cool. And I'm just humming down along on my career. I'm like, well, that's a box checked. It was a long drive, got a little sick of it. Started scratching my head, said, what, what else can I do? What else is out there for me to just test the waters in? And the next thing was, was close to my home. I said, oh, this, what's this home healthcare? What is this? Wait, I can now not see my patients just in a subacute, but those patients that I saw in subacute that I discharged at home health, maybe I'll give that a dabble and see what that's like. So uh, took a job in home health. So you left 
That's because you, you left your Motley crew. Southern Ocean Nursing and Rehabilitation. It was in Manahawkin, New Jersey. A great experience, great people, no regrets. So after you took it to the top with that Motley crew. Motley crew. Yeah, take it, to, take the it to the top. All right. <laughs> we can do that segment later too. <laughs> so now you're thinking about home health care. Mm-hmm. Take a job at uh, Runnymede Visiting Nurse Association. Met a couple of my colleagues there. The colleagues actually still work with Fox Rehab that I met there when I was in that career. Whoa. Yep. And still a lot who we're still very familiar with. But I uh, jumped into home health. Had a nurse for a boss. She was lousy. <laughs> Terrible. But that's really why I started figuring out my, the push from my mentors, Dr. Mary Sinat and lots of other people in my life that taught me physical therapy. I started to question, wait a minute, I've got this nurse telling me that the patients had enough based on administrative guidelines, not clinical guidelines. And that's when I started to fight the system a little bit. I started asking more questions because I wasn't happy. I'm like, wait a minute, this patient, Mrs. Smith, needs so much more therapy that is completely justified, ethical and proper. And you're telling me I have to discharge her. Well, yeah, she can go to outpatient. She can't go to outpatient. There's no possible way she's going to outpatient. That's why I'm seeing her now in the home. So started my wheels turning as far as what's going on here. Something's broken. There's got to be a better way. So coming through the system, 12 months, and I'm discharging, recommending, I work down in uh, my territory was Pittman, New Jersey. Fantastic small town just outside of Glassboro in South Jersey. Love it. Pittman Donut Shop. <laughs> Hit that every day. <laughs> ah, some really good people met. And unfortunately, I got to know a lot of the town because I'd treat a lot of the town. And that started raising some questions in my head is why, why am I seeing all these people all the time? There was a small outpatient clinic in Pittman. The, the head PT was Michael Jinn. Uh, I don't know if he's still kicking around today. I'm sure he is. And I'd formed a relationship. So Mike, I'm sending you all these patients. Like, cause all my patients would need ongoing care after my nurse supervisor had told me to discharge them, which I had to do. He's like, no, I'm not seeing them, Tim. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like sending you 10 a week, dude. I should be your best referral source. Right. Like, no, nope, not seeing them. So that started raising more questions for me. I'm like, well, if they don't qualify under Medicare Part A for this extended duration of treatment, which they absolutely need, they need to be dosed properly to get change physiology and get stronger. Where are they going? They'd show up in my caseload four months later because they'd be back in hospital. So the system's broken. It didn't work. So I'm like, why can't I deliver outpatient services in the home under Medicare Part B? Because that's what they were going to the clinic for, those that made it. So then I said, I got to get a handle on this. So I just sat in the library, in Haddonfield Library, and started to look through HIC for transmittals, healthcare. But you went there with a purpose? I went there with a purpose. Okay. I got answers. How, 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 why is there not a system of reimbursement for older adults that have finished or exhausted, so did, which is complete crap, exhausted the Medicare benefit, which they hadn't exhausted. The clinicians just didn't know how to document it properly mm-hmm. or fight with their nurse supervisor to get them more. Another story. That's another chapter, <laughs> Jim. And wanted to sit and find out more about where, what is this model of reimbursement where we can see if they get paid under Medicare Part B in an outpatient clinic, why don't they get paid in the home? 1998. Here we go. What was I doing in 1998? Bring it way back to the beginning. What was I doing in 1998? I was sat in the library at Hanfield Library looking at Hickford transmittals because there was no computers back then, really, so to speak where you could just do a Google search and find this information out. They were in these big, massive document logs. And you had to go through the table of contents, 
or the index, find out what you needed and just read, read, read. And uh, it just so happened in 1998, the healthcare, now back then it wasn't CMS, it was Healthcare Financing Administration had changed the policy where Medicare beneficiaries could receive in-home therapy services, not only med under Medicare Part A, but also under Medicare Part B, just as an outpatient benefit. I was like, what? So that was brand new in 1998. That was it. it ch the, the policy changed in 1998, the, almost the day I was sat in the library. No kidding. Because I've asked you this question before. Not the year before. Not right, the year after. In 98, but I've asked you this question before. No one ever thought of that? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really like, I, if I look at the things that, uh, yeah, it's sad about my parents. Shit happens. Like, you know, I'm not one to look in the rearview mirror too much. Yeah, I wish they were here today to see what was going on, but they're not. And you just got to move on. And uh, it's it's amazing the the, the um, divine interventions that have been placed in my life to help get not just me, but this organization that touches so many lives of older adults in the United States. They deserve it, number one. And they leave, if they're living longer, thanks thanks to modern medicine, they're living better, but they need to live not just stronger, but better lives, right? So when you see that in the library, mm -hmm. is that the point where you're like, all right, I'm gonna start my own thing? This is freaking it, man. That's it. Bingo. So then what were the steps to create Fox? The next steps were to uh, validate that policy and make sure it was real. <laughs> Because it didn't seem real to me. I'm like, this can't be real. This is untrue. And uh, it was true. It was true. And I said, okay, once, once this is true, how do you, once you do this, how do you bill for this? Like, how do you get paid? That's nice, but how do you get paid? So uh, I had this old laptop. Like, remember a three by five floppy disk? Yes, yes. So I, I contacted uh, HICFA at the time. And they said, yeah, you can do that. And we can send you the program where you can submit as bills. So I stuck it in the computer, downloaded this document and figured out how to connect it. I think it was AOL was online and uh, figured out how to bill with this billing program. And all the, all the codes that we use today, even today, are still the same exact numbered codes. They need to be placed and they're called commercial edits where you can't build one code with another code and it has to be certain code combinations you got to learn those so i was just banging out codes that i'm billing submitting them uh once i started seeing some patients and figured getting all these denials i'm like oh my gosh i'm not getting paid i'm not getting paid well there's commercial edits you've got to code them in order and properly and put them in proper orders and placements so trial and error yes right expensive trial and error <laughs> But it was time-consuming trial glorious. and error. I remember getting the first checks. I'm getting paid to do this now. Like actually treat patients in their home, post home health discharge, able to continue their care and actually get them the care and give them the access to care that they couldn't normally get. They couldn't get six months ago when I was begging like Jen, where 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 are your where are the patients I'm sending you? And uh, now I'm like, wow. An overused phrase that we use these days is game changer. Mm -hmm. But game, that was literally game-changing. Game you changed the game. Yep. So were you going out as Fox Rehabilitation or were you just Tim Fox at this point, so treating was, patients? While I was in the library, I said, I need, I, I have a very short attention span. And uh, I said, I've got to do something different here. So I said, well, let's start a business. Like, this is a business now. This is, 
something I get my head around and my hands around, my arms around. And uh, Fox Rehabilitation sounds okay to me. <laughs> Ger- geriatric house calls. Geriatric physical therapy at home. Geriatric house calls. We were played around with lots of little taglines on it. And uh, I started flipping through. Uh, I went to the card catalog, the drawers. Yeah. Dewey Decimal System. Looked up Fox. Looked up kids' books, Fox. And uh, found an image of a fox. Stood on his hind claws on a tree looking in a, a hole where I guess an owl must have been or something. <laughs> like, there's the logo. Was that the red one? That's the, yeah, maroon. The maroon, the maroon yeah, the maroon logo. logo. That's it. That's from Haddonfield Library. And actually, don't tell anybody, Jim. But I, I well, this is, this is on the podcast. I, I know. Don't tell anybody. Okay. But I, I ripped the page out of the book. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that book is still in the library <laughs> with, that page with the missing right page. Go look. So we're celebrating our silver anniversary. When do you consider to be the birthday of Fox Rehabilitation? Was it that day? I think it's that day. In the library. I think it's that day. And we, really we've been do. talking. We think it's I August 18th. August. August 18th, it was hot. 1998. It was, it was a hot day. That's, that's the birthday. So then Fox Rehabilitation is officially a thing. It's a thing. It's real. It's happening. It's touching patients. So we successfully completed part one. (laughs) Part two next week? I think there's more to come. Okay. All right. So that will do it for part one. More with the founder of Fox Rehabilitation, Dr. Tim Fox, on the next episode of Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. So for Dr. Tim Fox, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later. Later.